Hey everybody and welcome to episode 92 of How I Built It. In today's episode, I'm talking to Pam Angst and we're talking about SEO process. So in the last two episodes, we talked to John Doherty about his product or productized service. Uh, Before that, we talked to Jeremiah Smith about how he built his agency. Uh, But Pam and I talk about building the right SEO process. Uh, And I really liked this episode uh, and this conversation because I had some immediately actionable advice. Uh, Essentially, as soon as we hung up, I applied some of what she taught me here. So uh, I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. Uh, This episode, by the way, is brought to you by Pantheon and Traitware. You'll hear about them a little bit later. So for now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is Pam Ungst. Uh, She is an SEO expert, and we're going to talk a little bit about her process. She was introduced, uh, or we were introduced to each other formally by friend of the show, Liam Dempsey of Hallway Chats. I'll link that in the show notes. So Pam, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for being on the show. So this is a little bit more nebulous, right? We're not talking about a specific product or thing. We're talking more about SEO process and strategy and things like that. So why don't you tell us and the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So as you said, I'm Pam Ungst. My company is Pam and Marketing. And we actually also now have a sister company, which is also kind of an offering, which is Stealth Search and Analytics. Both companies offer SEO, PPC and analytics services. Pam and Marketing works directly with clients and Stealth Search and Analytics works on a private label basis through other agencies that want to offer those services, but not hire in-house staff to provide them to their clients. Gotcha. Cool. So you've got a little bit of the uh, the client services going and then some of the white labeled services going with like agencies and, and folks who might want to outsource their ability to do SEO stuff, right? Yes, we actually were getting requested to do that so often that I had a light bulb moment and I was like, hmm, we're getting these requests without even really saying to the world that we are capable of doing this. So I wonder what would happen if we said to the world that we were capable of doing this. And that's how Stealth was born. That's fantastic. And a great name for that service, right? Because you are you're being stealth and who exactly is doing the work, I guess. But this is not this is not a question that I decided to ask until right now. But why would somebody why would an agency or or, uh, another company want to outsource their SEO strategy? So I think it's primarily because of the fact that SEO is so complex uh, and and PPC, you know, both are and analytics, all three are very, very complex. So SEO does have the most moving pieces, though. And I think it's just really hard for design focused firms and, and branding agencies or just broader scope marketing agencies. It's really hard for them to fully understand it. And I think that if they did, they probably would hire in-house, but it's hard to provide a service and hire and train people to do something that you yourself don't know how to do. So I think that they they want to, and obviously they could try to hire someone that claims to already know it, but 
how do they know they already know it? And so I think there's some comfort level with not having to go through all of that training, hiring, sourcing talent, training them, managing them for something that they really don't understand. There's just a comfort and it's easier to turn to a firm that has got all that figured out and it's got a good reputation already. And then they can just capitalize on what's already been built. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you want to be an effective manager, you should at least understand the people you're managing. So, you know, I'm not going to go hire an illustrator because I can't tell an illustrator how to do their job. Exactly. I'm going to hire an independent person that I don't need to manage. I just say, I want this. Go do that. Right. Yes, it's certainly simpler. And I think sometimes, too, they don't have a full-time need. They don't have enough of the work. It's only a couple of clients that are asking for it. So they couldn't even justify hiring a full-time person or even a steady part-time person. They just need it on a project basis. Yeah, and and that's a great point. And so, and I mean, so I asked that question not to like, you know, like not like skeptically. I knew full well why. I just kind of wanted to hear it from you because... (laughs) SEO is a full-time job, just like, you know, people scoff at social media managers, but as somebody who's trying to do it all, including manage like my social media cues, like that takes a large chunk of my week if if I want to do it right. So. Oh, absolutely. So you want to have the right people in place if you want to be effective with that stuff. Yeah. And I think too, that the process is part of what we sell to to touch on that because we said we were going to talk about the process and the having the process figured out is it's I think it's a whole separate thing from knowing the theory. I find in my hiring for my company that people who haven't had a lot of work experience in the field yet they may understand the theories behind SEO perfectly well and thoroughly but practical application of a theory in the real world where things are messy and there's mm-hmm. constraints and there's layers of red tape and maybe even, you know, politics within the client's organization that are restricting them from being able to do things a certain way. That like in the wild type of experience, having a process that is nailed down that can navigate all of that real world practical application, you know, those challenges, I think is uh, it's another reason for subcontracting an agency or a company who already has that all figured out as opposed to hiring an individual employee. Yeah, absolutely. Having somebody that can navigate that, uh, that those waters is so important, right? You know, it's, uh, you know, when you're playing baseball, it's easy to say, all right, well, square your shoulders, keep your eye on the ball and swing and follow through. And that's great if somebody's throwing you a fastball and you're expecting a fastball. But if somebody throws you a curveball and you're expecting a fastball, then you're going to miss no matter how well you keep your eye on the ball. So (laughs) you want somebody who can be prepared for that. Yes, absolutely. And and have a process in place that takes into account all the different types of balls, whether they're fast or curve or, you know, whatever. You've got like plans and processes and ways of dealing with it already figured out. Yeah, absolutely. So so let's get into this then. Talking about stealth, you, you you got this idea because essentially people were already asking for it. When it comes to maybe starting that company and then moving into your your process, what kind of research was involved in that? So, well, like you said, we did get asked for it. So we didn't really have to research if there was a demand. Although I did do research on the competitive offerings that were out there 
because I needed to come up with a way to, if we're going to expand this, to differentiate ourselves and come up with marketing messaging and whatnot. And so I think that what I discovered in my competitive research was that obviously there's a lot of other companies out there offering this. But what seemed to me to be missing and what I was hearing from the prospects, the prospective agencies that we had that wanted this from us, I was hearing that they they needed a custom approach. And a lot of the white label offerings, SEO reseller programs or whatever that are out there are very cookie cutter, pre-done packages. You just sign up, slap your name on it, and it's yeah. kind of, you know, just unable to be customized. And we have agencies asking us all the time to just do one piece of our process for them or to handle a unique challenge for a client. And so what's interesting is that a very comprehensive process that we developed for Pam and Marketing over the last seven years, we're actually kind of cherry picking individual pieces of that to come up with custom offerings through the other agencies on the stealth front, because that's what they want. They just, like I said, most of it's project basis. That's one of the reasons they're coming to us. They don't have a full-time need. They just have this one project at hand. It's got these unique challenges. What, how can you help us? And we can handpick pieces of our whole process and put together a custom approach for each agency, for each project for each agency. And they really like that. So my research helped uh, solidify our marketing plan and our marketing messaging, because I realized that most of what you find is this cookie cutter package type approach. And we, we do have a very solid process that's repeatable, but we are willing to customize it and I think that's, you know, that was an important piece of research and strategy for this. Today's episode is brought to you by Pantheon. WordPress 5.0 and the new editor, Gutenberg, are coming. Are you prepared? Do you want to learn about the changes in advance? Pantheon has gathered resources to help you prepare, including webinars and tutorials. Pantheon also has made it easy and free to try Gutenberg with your site before the official launch. Visit pantheon.io slash Gutenberg. Let them know that How I Built It sent you. And now, back to the show. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. It almost sounds like the SEO companies who are doing the cookie cutter stuff are thinking, oh, well, this white label service will just be passive income for me. Or semi-passive income, right? Yeah, perhaps. And also, perhaps there are agencies out there that want that. They want something that's incredibly predictable, the same every time. I guess it just so happened that we attracted agencies that wanted these unique solutions. And I don't know, maybe because of our, our reputation, we got approached with the more complex mm -hmm. things that were just they knew weren't a fit for a cookie cutter program, uh, for whatever reason, it just so happened that these were the types of inquiries we were getting. And there very well may be agencies out there that want the cookie cutter stuff. And that's fine. But it, we're, the niche that we're going after is those that need something unique. Right. It all depends on your needs, your budget. Maybe you want something cookie cutter until you know what you want, right? Like <laughs> until you you know what you need, maybe is, is a better way to put it. You know, just give me what you, give me what most people have. And then you, you take that and you're like, all right, well, now I understand the process a little bit more. So I don't really need 
I don't really need the leather seats in my car. Just give me the regular seats. But like, I want like a really good sound system in my car. So give me. (laughs) Yeah, perhaps. Also, though, I think one of our core values all along has been that we don't believe that cookie cutter approaches actually work Mm -hmm. because every single business is different. Every single website is different. They're like snowflakes. They're each completely different. So although, like I said, we have a predictable, repeatable process, that process allows for and accounts for those differences and has flexibility in it to account for those and take those into the strategy and deal with those. So I don't think that a truly cookie cutter packaged approach gets the best results anyway. Yeah, that again, that makes sense. And and that kind of segues perfectly into what is the research process for, you know, maybe when you have a new client. First of all, who do you, when you're dealing with maybe not the agency stuff, when you're dealing directly with clients, who do you deal with mostly? Is it like e-commerce people or like a certain type of business that you work with? So we work with businesses across all verticals, but the common thread is more the situation that they're in. They tend to be more established businesses. Mm -hmm. Because we're so niche and we only offer a few services, two out of three, which are focused on search engines, we are you know, we could, we're perfectionists about mm. our approach to SEO and PPC and everything. And so we like to go in deep and cross every T and dot every I and be really thorough with our strategies. So we're just a better fit for helping companies who have the basics in place already and take their strategies to the next level, as opposed to like a new mom and pop shop that just mm-hmm. opened up and they don't really understand the role the website's going to play for them. And they don't understand what SEO is yet. And we're just a better fit for established businesses that need to take things to the next level. So that's that's the common thread as opposed to a certain industry or type. Gotcha. Okay. So if I can put you on the spot just a little bit, right? My podcast has been around for over two years at this point. I get a, a decent amount of downloads when I want to take it to the next level. If I were to approach you, what would your process be for, am I a good fit for you and what should my steps be? Sure. So that's a great way to discuss this, to use a real world example. So first of all, are you a fit? I I can usually tell that right away just by talking to someone about their business and making sure that they are already at the point where they know the role their website plays. They know it's important. They know they have to invest in it and so on. And so, you know, I could tell pretty quickly that you'd be a a serious prospect that would be able to work effectively with us. And that's not just being picky because we don't want to work with the other kind just because we find it annoying or something like it. We can't be as effective unless we're working with someone who really understands the role their website plays in their business and understands at least at a high level how SEO works and why we need to do what we need to do. So once that's all vetted out, then we'll move into if we're officially kicking off and working with someone, we'll move into what we call our phase one planning process. And that starts with a deep dive discovery conference call where we have the client pre-fill a questionnaire and then we go over it together and flesh it out even further about the company, the company's history, the what makes the company different, who their target audience is, keywords they want to get found for, wording that they don't want to be associated with, and so on. So deep dive on the the brand and the company. We then take that and we do our keyword research process, which is very in-depth. We we go through thousands of potential keywords that could possibly be a fit for that site. And we just kind of hoard it all into a big spreadsheet of 
good potential candidate keywords. And then we call it down based on what we call kind of like supply demand calculations. We've come up with a couple of our own metrics that we use that measure the size of the difference between the search volume and the competitiveness of phrases to find good opportunities for those that are searched often enough, but not too competitive. And so we we come up with a, a list, which is still pretty long, of phrases that are really good contenders. And then we zoom out and we look at that from a 30,000 foot view and come up with some key takeaways to discuss with the client. So just to stop you there for a second, when you talk about the the kind of choosing the keywords, right? You in, in this example, I wouldn't want like build or podcast because that's a super common keyword, but I also wouldn't want like podcast on how to build super specific WordPress plugins, right? Like both of those are <laughs> right. bad for different reasons, right? Those are opposite ends of the spectrum. So the single words like build or podcast or sometimes even two word phrases, if they're really popular, are too popular. And so, but we don't want to go to the other end of the spectrum and pick phrases that are too long and too specific that are hardly ever typed in, but maybe very easy to rank for, but they're hardly ever typed in. So we want to find that sweet spot in the middle. And we also focus on right sizing our selections for the client's existing traffic. So if your website was getting, let's say, 900 visits of organic search traffic a month, we would not want to pick a key phrase for you that was searched 90,000 times a month. Because if to try to explain the rationale behind this, if Google was willing to, or any search engine, I'll reference Google a lot as an example, but if Google is willing to rank your site for a keyword that had 90,000 searches a month, your site would probably already have more than 900 total hits a month. So it's not an exact science and it's not an exact math formula, but we use that to just to kind of stay in the right realm of what would be attainable for that site, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I guess to go back to, to baseball, right. It would be like, if I just decide one day I want to play for major league baseball, you know, if I, at 32 years old, if I want to play for Major League Baseball, I probably would have already been on that path to play Major League Baseball. I'd, I'd be playing like AAA ball or something at this point. <laughs> I can't just like knock on the Yankees door and be like, hey, I want to play for you guys. Right. That's something that needs to be worked up to you know, right. gradually. And that, right. that's the approach that we take, too. So we can use higher volume keywords eventually over time. But the way that we get there is we pick a whole bunch of right-sized volume keywords and get those get traffic going for those until the point where the site's average is bigger and Google's willing to trust it more, and then we can work our way up. That's very cool. And I like that you said the word trust there, right? Because that's essentially, I mean, that's essentially what you're trying to do with good SEO is uh, Google's almost like that friend who you're like, hey, who's that mechanic? Who's the mechanic I should go to? Google's trying to be more like that now. Absolutely. Yeah. They want to show the results that are trusted resources for the information. There's a lot of signals that go into showing Google that your site is trustworthy. And one of them comes from ranking from a lot of with ranking for a lot of keywords and getting a good amount of traffic for those keywords that are all ancillary angles of a single topic. So I, re- I describe it like building up, uh, building out chapters in your book, showing Google that you not only have a single page about this thing, but you have a whole section on your site about this topic. Google's indicated in the patents they're applying for that they're trying to become more of a topical match engine 
showing up sites that holistically represent a whole topic as opposed to a single simple uh. keyword match engine. So that's another reason to pick a bunch of right-sized, smaller volume, longer tail keywords and build up a whole portfolio of those because then Google will eventually trust you more for the broader, higher level, higher volume, general topic that you're trying to represent. Gotcha. So if I want to, if I want to become an authority within Google on podcasting, I shouldn't just write one blog post with the keyword. Maybe it's the perfect podcasting keyword, but it shouldn't be one article. It should be like how to interview and how to pick the music and, you know, what editing software you should use. What's the best microphone? And, and I have an entire section now dedicated to podcasting authority. Exactly. And some of those, uh, so to use podcasting as an example, there's kind of a bunch of legs about that topic. Like you said, you know, equipment and marketing of the podcast, getting sponsors, et cetera. And some of those subtopics may even have more subtopics, like hardware could have, mm -hmm. you know, the, the microphones versus the processing or that wouldn't be hardware, but the equipment could have hardware and software yeah, and yeah, other subcategories. So you can build out, you know, an outline. You can just use Google search suggest to see what other terms come up when you start searching a certain topic and build out an outline to work off of so that you fully flesh out each angle of the topic. And so that's basically the next step in our process. So once we've gathered all those keywords, we look at it from the perspective of like, how do we build this into an outline? And then we compare that to the sitemap and the existing content on the site and look at that from the perspective of what's missing. You know, we know all these good keywords we want to use, all these good angles of the topic we want to cover. What do they already have? What needs to be built out? What's a fit for the main part of the site to build out there versus what are we going to do with blog content? And what are we going to, you know, so we really strategize about what kind of content we're going to put where and how and how to flesh that that outline, that topical outline out into a sitemap of pages and articles. Gotcha. So once you have the the right size keywords, you come up with, I mean, content strategy, is that reasonable? Is that a reasonable thing to say about it? Or is it is it more like this is the type of content you should build your own content strategy around? I think it is content strategy to a degree. Uh, we come up with at least a high-level content strategy. And, and and we focus a lot on information architecture because the way the content is organized and how it's linked to each other and whatnot very much matters for SEO. So I would say it's a, it's a content strategy step, but heavily focused on information architecture planning at gotcha. that point. Gotcha. So uh, when I blog, I noticed that uh, Yoast SEO, the plugin always yells at me for not having and an internal link. Is it stuff like that that you talk about? Like you're going to write a post about this and you should link to a post you wrote about this because that it's important to forge that connection. Or is that like oversimplifying? Yes. I mean, well, that's, that is a simplified version of what interlinking is and why it's important. We do try to look at it a little more holistically and look ahead a bit because we want to build out like hubs and spokes of intralinks that are very, very logical. So whereas on the lightest level, yeah, you can absolutely just make sure that each of your blog posts is linked to something else that's kind of sort of similar. But it's even better when you really plan it out in advance and think about what kind of content hubs do we want to have on this site and how are we going to link them together. And that keyword research data really helps visualize that from the get-go. Very cool. Very cool. So Man, we are chugging right along in this interview. 
And I know that we've talked a bit about, uh, you know, coming up with a keyword strategy. You also mentioned uh, PPC is something you focus on, right? Are you as frustrated with usernames and passwords as I am? Traitware believes you are, and they created Traitware Secure Login as the solution for all of us. Traitware enables you, your staff, and your customers and members a secure way to sign in that replaces usernames and passwords. With a simple mobile app or PC login, you can provide a better experience, increase security, and reduce the risk of lost or stolen passwords. Traitware is the secure login you have been looking for. Check out a quick video on how to sign in with Traitware and register for a exclusive How I Built It coupon at securelogonapp.com slash WordPress. That's securelogonapp.com slash WordPress. Say goodbye to usernames and passwords. Say goodbye to phishing, man in the middle, or brute force attacks. Never again create, forget, share, or lose a password for your WordPress website. And now, back to the show. Yes. So SEO is really not a fit for everyone. It takes a lot of time and effort and resources and patience. (laughs) So paid search and other forms of PPC are perfectly suitable ways to get traffic quicker. Obviously, cost needs to come into account. So one of the analysis that we do there to help determine if PPC is a fit is the uh, estimated cost per click for the keywords they want to come up for. And that's important for setting a monthly budget because you have to cast a wide enough net. Not every single person who clicks is going to become a paying customer. So you have to make sure you get quite a good amount of clicks out of your PPC effort. And if you have, if you set something like a $1,000 a month budget for keywords that are averaging $30 per click, mm. well, a $1,000 a month budget basically boils down into approximately a $30 a day budget. So you're allowing for one click a day. That's not going to work. So then you got to go back to the drawing board and look for either more long tail phrases or just more specific aspects of the the service or the competitive angle or whatever it may be that might not cost as much if that's the fixed budget or just use the CPC data to set a higher budget. So keyword analysis is very important in advance of deploying a paid search strategy to make sure that you're that's going to work, casting a wide enough net. Gotcha. So when we talk about PPC, pay-per-click, those are the ads that you'll see on top of a Google search or perhaps Google ads embedded on other sites. Do you consider things like Facebook ads part of that strategy or is that something completely different? I do. I consider anything that you can pay for on a per-click basis or even a per-impression basis to fall under the realm of PPC. And so we do do other types of PPC advertising like Facebook ads, YouTube ads, LinkedIn ads, banner ads, retargeting, etc. But we highly encourage people to start with paid search because even though the targeting options on those other forms of advertising, particularly Facebook, the targeting options are great and you can be pretty sure you're going to get in front of the right type of person but it may not be the right time that they want or need something. So there's just nothing like the high level of intent to buy that comes with someone who's sitting in front of a search engine and typing something in. They're doing that because they want or need it now or soon. Gotcha. I see. So it's like driving past a billboard versus actually going into a store. 
Exactly. Yeah. So if I drive past a billboard and I happen to be the type of person that likes Coca-Cola, yeah, maybe that will make me think of one and make me want to go out of my way to get one or get one next time I'm in the store or whatever. But there's just nothing like the, the likelihood of purchases if, you know, I was a paying customer with money in my hand already right. walking into a store or searching for a store <laughs> that carries Coca-Cola because I intend to get one right now. Gotcha. Wow. That's that is really fantastic advice usually people are just like oh yeah well with facebook ads just like offer something for free and you'll get more signups and i don't i don't experiment that much with facebook ads i've been thinking about it for uh one of my courses but i mean you know if if people don't care about gutenberg or don't need to know about gutenberg while they're browsing their facebook profile like you said it's not going to convert very well Right. And it does have its role and it can convert some of the time. And so you can catch those people who happen to be thinking about Gutenberg while they happen to be scrolling through their Facebook feed. So it can work and it is less expensive. So that is gotcha. something to take into consideration, too. Less expensive on a on a per person reached basis than paid search. Paid search can be pretty pricey. So some sometimes the budget isn't there for that. And then Facebook ads can be used as a secondary choice, or if paid search is already in place and working well, and the brand wants to just get in front of even more people, something like Facebook ads can be layered on top of that strategy. We just encourage people to consider paid search as one of the primary tactics first for budget allocation. Gotcha. Very cool. So we are coming up on time here. So I'm going to ask you a very nebulous question, I guess, based on how much of your process you have described? What major part of your process, if any, are we missing? Like, is there, how do we wrap up? Or is there like a big piece in the middle that you're like, I, we, we definitely should talk about this? Yeah, sure. So there's probably just two more things I want to make sure to touch upon to round out our phase one planning process. The steps that we've talked about thus far, the kickoff call, the keyword research step, the information architecture content strategy step, to wrap up, that's mostly content strategy. So to wrap up and finish out content strategy, we do one final step, which is keyword mapping. So now that we know the keywords we want to have and the pages we're going to have, we do a one-to-one matchup of, or more than one-to-one matchup of exact phrases to exact pages. So we make a spreadsheet of the sitemap. This page should use these primary phrases, these secondary supporting phrases, and so on. And we map that out for the most important content on the site. And that kind of, and then we put together a PowerPoint and wrap up the whole content strategy for the client. And that rounds out the content strategy. But there's a very important piece that I didn't mention yet, which is the technical planning. And that runs concurrent with the content planning during our holistic phase one planning process. And there we're doing technical auditing of the site and checking it for about 50 different technical best practices. And like I said, we like to go deep and cross every T and dot every I. And we truly believe that that's crossing every T and dotting every I is necessary for brands to compete well in the SERPs. So we are, I definitely don't want to glaze over the importance of that process because that is something is that is super important and we believe is very crucial, plays a very crucial role in any SEO strategy. So the technical planning and auditing process when we take on a new client is, is very much a key part of the process. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's probably, I mean, I'm a developer by trade, uh, so that's probably more, you're speaking my language now. 
what are maybe some of the most common things that people miss? Like, what are the things that you see come up in a lot of your technical planning audits? Sure. So actually, some of the basics are often overlooked nowadays. They, I guess there's a, an assumption that some of the simple stuff isn't really needed anymore, but we do see it make a big difference. For example, XML sitemaps, making sure you have one that is dynamically generated and that it's submitted to Search Console, formerly known as Google Webmaster Tools. Those small little basic best practices still very much matter and have an impact. So we do see those skipped. And the number one thing we're dealing with right now is speed. Site speed mm. has been in the desktop algorithm for several years. So we've been focusing on it for some time and it's going to be included in the mobile algorithm as of July of this year. And over 50% of searches occur on mobile on Google. So that's going to become even more impactful. And that is something that that's like the number one thing we see developers, designers, everyone turn a complete blind eye to. They just don't, it never occurred to them to develop right. the website to load quickly. And it's such an important thing, not only for SEO, but for conversion rate optimization too. I mean, this, the fall off stats for every second of page load time in conversion is just, unbelievable. But a lot of people, clients, developers, designers are guilty of not paying attention to it at all. And so we end up having the conversation for the first time. And sometimes it's very far off from where it needs to be, which is three seconds or less Google wants on both desktop and mobile. So that is definitely a huge part of our technical analysis now. Gotcha. Yeah. And one of my favorite stats, uh, if you're an e-commerce person, is like 80% of people will abandon their cart if it takes more than four or five seconds to load. So uh, mm -hmm. just think about that. If you have a slow website, you could be losing 80% of people who have already decided to purchase your product. Uh, which wow, is crazy. that's an impactful stat. <laughs> right, right. Do you think that's because people assume like their content management system handles that for them or they're willing to sacrifice speed because they've got these big, beautiful images and background videos or some combination of the two? I think it actually most of the time just hasn't occurred to them, probably because they just never got to the point where they were personally frustrated with the load time mm -hmm. of their site, which... It may they may not realize that other people have a different experience than they right. have. If you go to your own site so much, you got the content cached in your browser, so it's not taking all that long to load. You don't think of it as unacceptable or problematic in any way, shape, or form, and they don't realize that it can differ for other users. So they just it's just not on their radar. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and so here's my developer tip for those of you making websites and you want to test the speed. Go to an airport. Philadelphia Airport is great for this because their internet is so bad. And connect to their Wi-Fi or go to Starbucks on a very busy day, uh, like a Saturday <laughs> afternoon, and try to load your website and see what happens. That's another great point because a lot of people don't realize that most of the world may have a slower internet connection than them and that Google wants you to optimize for 3G mobile mm -hmm. speed, not necessarily the 4G or LTE or whatever you may happen to be lucky enough to have. They want you to optimize for 3G connection. So they actually came out with a tool recently called Lighthouse. And it's in DevTools in Chrome. You can also get it as an extension. And that emulates a 3G cellular connection. Wow. And 
that is what we believe they're going to use that tech, that testing technology is we believe what they're going to use for the way they judge mobile speed on sites with this upcoming mobile speed algorithm change. Gotcha. So you, we today have the ability to test the exact way Google will test our sites for speed and determine. We assume it's the exact way. They, of course, are. (laughs) We're inferring that they're going just to cover our own butts here. We're inferring and assuming that that's the method they're going to use. That that does rely on the computer, and you can get some differences between different computers. So take it with a grain of salt. They have said that a plus minus fifteen point score difference is expected between machines. But do make sure that you're testing incognito, logged out of your WordPress admin, and with all browser extensions disabled Gotcha. to minimize those variances. Man, that is some great advice and a really good way to wrap up the show, except I need to ask you my favorite question. You just gave us a bunch, but do you have any trade secrets for us? Yes. My trade secret is to not keep your trade secrets a secret. <laughs> I'll explain that a little more. We have found that the one of the best ways we have succeeded in growing a reputation, growing a business, winning clients is to be completely transparent about all of the ways that we do things, all of our expertise, how we do things. We will train. If a client doesn't want to pay us to do it, we'll train them. We'll show them how to do it themselves. We don't care. We're not being protective of anything that we no. And I think that's really set us apart from, especially in this space, which is full of snake oil salespeople. Mm-hmm. I think it's been important in setting us apart and building trust is that we'll, we're willing to tell you exactly how we do what we do, exactly what tools we use. And, and I think it, it definitely builds trust. And we've even been paid to train some of our competitors staff and I'll do it. I don't care. It's yeah. like, you know, there's plenty of business to go around. So I don't worry about, I mean, obviously I don't publish everything that we've built over the past seven years for free on the internet completely, but and we do intend to turn some of our process into online video courses that we can make money off of and whatnot. But I guess I should just rephrase it and say, don't be overly secretive mm-hmm. with your trade secrets. Obviously, there has to be some degree of secrecy, but... <laughs> right, absolutely. But I mean, like, even, you know, training your competitors. I mean, sure, I'm a developer and I have a development course. Uh, I'm, I could be training my competitors, but with development, I'm sure, much like SEO, part of it is not just knowing it today, it's knowing how to know it three months from now or six months from now or five years from now. So, you know, you could teach a person all you want, but you can't force them to stay to keep their knowledge updated if they don't want to. So, yeah. And there's also something to be said for that real world practical application and experience. They're teaching the theory does not give away our competitive edge at all, because big part of our competitive edge is how much experience we've seen in the wild applying that theory with real world practical application in all those messy situations and knowing how to navigate that. So I'll teach theory all day long and I will not be worried that we're going to lose any business for giving away our secrets. Yep. And uh, bringing it back to the baseball, the batter analogy, the Yankees in the early to mid 2000s always hit Pedro Martinez well, even though he was an incredible pitcher because they saw him pitch a lot. 
And so they knew what to expect and how to handle things. And so it's a lot like that. The more pitches you see, the better you will, the the better a hitter you will be. So awesome. Pam. You really like the baseball analogies. <laughs> I love baseball. And at the time of this recording, the Yankees are on a tear right now and they're my team. So I will, I will stick to that as long as possible. Awesome. Of course, by well, the time- I'm not too big of a baseball fan, but I could talk football with you someday, maybe uh, if you like football too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love football. Who's your, are you from Pennsylvania? I'm from New Jersey, so I actually root for both of the local teams, the Giants and the Jets. More so the Giants, because I'm kind of forced to. All my good friends are Giants fans, except my boyfriend will kill me for saying this because he's from Virginia and he's a Redskins fan. And so I have to root for them, too. Gotcha. Well, understandable. Uh, So you are from northern New Jersey, it sounds like. Okay, cool. I'm from New York, so I am also a Giants fan. So very cool. Very cool. Pam, where can people find you? So I can be found at pamannmarketing.com, which is P-A-M-A-N-N marketing.com. All of the social medias that go along with that. And our stealth site is stealthsearchandanalytics.com. All right. Stealthsearchandanalytics.com. I will link both of those in the show notes. Pam, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. What a great conversation. Uh, I really like what she said about kind of Uh, comparing pay-per-click with Facebook ads and how Facebook ads are kind of a billboard. Uh, And a couple of really great tools that she also told us about, like Lighthouse. So uh, thanks so much again to Pam for taking the time and talking to us. Uh, And thanks again to our sponsors, Pantheon and Traitware. Their support is deeply appreciated. The question of the week for you is, have you ever tried paid advertisements like uh, Google pay-per-click, Facebook, or Twitter ads. Uh, Let me know and let me know how it went. Uh, You can tweet me at jcasabona or email me joe at howibuilt.it. For all of the show notes, head over to howibuilt.it slash 91. If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It really helps people discover us. And thanks to the ratings from this past week, Uh, The show is about number 22 in Apple Podcasts right now for technology podcasts. So thank you so, so much. Uh, You can also join the Facebook community over at howibuilt.it slash Facebook. I want to build a strong community for this podcast, and Facebook is the place to do it. I asked the question of the week over there, too. And until next time, get out there and build something. (laughs) 